0: Good evening everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening and we have a really exciting project to talk about tonight as we are in the midst as of this recording of hurricane season entering the uh, the peak season uh, just finishing up with Hurricane Ida along the Gulf Coast and what a fitting uh, kind of story to talk about tonight. We have with us Chandler Pruitt and Robert Sots, who are students at Florida State University, who have come up with this uh, new research project that they are working on, how the hurricane cone we all see it from time to time on TV or on social media, and it kind of tells us where uh, the the track of the the hurricane or tropical storm or potential tropical cyclone will be going. And so we're going to talk about that and how the uncertainty impacts hurricane risk perception. And so it's a really unique thing we've all been talking about uh, hurricanes and how we can better forecast them, how we Honestly, can better communicate the risk, and that's uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight. So, Chandler, Robert, welcome to the show. Uh, I know you guys have uh, been with us before, but maybe for those who have not got the pleasure of seeing you or hearing you on the Carolina Weather Group, let's uh, learn a little bit more about y'all before we get into uh, kind of the topic tonight. So, uh, Chandler, uh, introduce uh, yourself to our listeners and our followers, tell us a little bit about you.
1: So, hi, I'm Chandler Pruitt, and I am a meteorology and statistics uh, double major at Florida State University. So I love both the weather and numbers. Yes, I'm crazy, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So I'm a meteorology and statistics double major. I love the weather a lot. I'm a, a part of the TV um, production weather um, FSU weather, which Robert will talk about as well. He's even bigger role in that group. Um, I'm also a hurricane analyst for Risk Management Solutions. So. I uh, definitely crunch numbers a lot, especially right now at the peak of hurricane season.
0: Yeah, Chandler's the numbers guy, so if you're looking for someone to help you uh, balance that account out, go to Chandler. He'll help you
2: out.
1: Oh no! Oh, he knows
2: the
3: stats. <laughs> he knows the stats. Uh,
0: Robert, how about you? Uh, how uh, tell us about you a little bit about your uh, your weather story and uh, introduce yourself to everyone. Right. So, like Chandler, I
3: am also a sophomore here at Florida State University, also studying meteorology you weren't able to tell our immense passion for the weather does derive from somewhere. Um, I'm, I would say that my interest in communication, that sort of angle also comes as Chandler mentioned from FSC Weather, which I'm honored to be a producer for that show, the Wednesday show. So if you get a chance, just look us up on YouTube, FSC Weather and watch everyone's show, but I would like it if you watch my show as well, the Wednesday show. Um, I would also say that I've just had an interest in communications as well, just from coming from a weather background in Texas. And I know Chandler can attest to that as well for him coming from Carolina and we both definitely are, this is a topic that we really got to together as something that we've always been passionate about, but really glad that we're able to actually do some real research here and maybe make some change in this world.
0: Robert, before we get in, you were talking about your uh, show on Wednesday nights. What time does that air?
3: It airs at 6.01 PM, exactly Eastern time. So if you get a chance anytime in time zone, that's when we do on YouTube. And also if you're in the Tallahassee area, you can watch us on PBS. So we have it on WFSU, but that's, so if you ever decide to drive down business in FSU, you can do that. Or you can visit us in person as well. If you'd like to, we do have an open studio.
0: That sounds good. So it sounds like to me, you guys watch them at 601 and then you can get some dinner, and then you can watch us here at the Carolina Weather Group later on that Wednesday. That sounds like a weather Wednesday to me. So, hey,
1: that, uh, it that, looks that
0: like sounds, good <laughs> sounds like a plan to me. Sounds like a good—I mean, at least for us weather nerds, it sounds pretty pretty fantastic. So, well, let's talk about the uh, research you guys are doing. Uh, talking about uh, the title is "Weather in the Storm: How Cones of Uncertainty Impact Hurricane Risk Perception." And Um, All of us here in the Carolinas, we uh, have dealt with hurricanes and tropical systems, and it seems like everywhere you look, TV, social media, Hurricane Center, National Weather Service, they're all using this hurricane um, cone um, and well, literally it's it's almost like the lifeline of, of what it is to forecast hurricanes so um let's talk about why you guys chose this what what's wrong with the cone I guess per se or what are you guys wanting to to kind of alleviate or fix uh, so people can better understand what's uh, what what they're looking at when they see this this cone on tv or on social media
3: right so I think that Uh, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with the cone. And that's one thing that we found with our research. It's a big thing is the cone is definitely very well liked by people. It's it's very familiar. And I know we'll probably get into this a little later, exactly what we found about some of these cones, but it is a very familiar cone. And a lot of people do find a lot of efforts, but the NHC went to great pains to design a cone that a lot of people do like. So I would say it's not necessarily a bad cone, but along with in partnership with the NHC, I think we've come to the conclusion that there are some areas that could be making an even better graphic at communicating it. So, to address that part of your question, there, I would definitely say that the cone is not bad in itself, but we're just trying to figure out through this research ways that we can improve.
1: There's always areas to improve for communication. So, especially in meteorology, with how young of a field it is and in the communication realm, at least. So, definitely just trying to improve things. In the process of this project,
2: you guys sent out um, a pretty sizable survey. You had a lot of responses, both in person and online. Uh, Chandler, I'll throw it back to you. you. Can tell us a little bit more about the process, uh, how you went through that, and, and then how you sorted through the of data?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. All the data. Um, so I would say the way we did this was With the in-person data, we did a simple random sample and stratified random sample. So um, basically, that means we chose cities not on a random basis. We chose them based off of the demographics that better represent the United States. So we chose low um, socioeconomic classes in one city, upper socioeconomic classes in another city. It was just kind of that kind of way. And also based off of hurricane activity, too. Like, you know, Jacksonville hasn't been hit by a storm in a while. Um, or at least a direct hit. Um, so we, we chose four cities, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, Fort Myers, and uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. So those were our four regions that we chose for um, the big online group. And then for the, um, our, the uh, big in-person group, excuse me, uh, the online group, that one, we uh, got the help of our alumni and also a lot of just nice meteorologists in general. We reached out to many people, especially on the coasts, And we got a lot of responses back that were very helpful. Um, So they just dispersed it everywhere. All the TV meteorologists really just came in clutch. That's quite the network of folks to to manage and all the questions to go through. Robert, coming over to you, all of the questions,
2: what were some of the questions that you asked folks in this survey? Right. So to understand how people
3: actually view the cone and how they potentially view different modifications to it, we asked several sets of questions to basically just get at, what do they understand as the current purpose of the cone? We wanted to understand that as a big one. And what do they want in a new cone? Or what do they prefer in a preparedness situation? So we had some rank choice questions. We had some fill in the blank questions. But as a whole, all of our questions were mainly just being those two points. What is the purpose? And how do you prefer it?
0: What, what was the uh, demographics of, of this? I mean, Florida, uh, the four cities you guys um, talked about, very diverse uh, from young to old to All kinds of uh, races and nationalities. So, what what was that uh, breakdown in your demographics? Uh, Reading through some of your stuff, I mean, I found it fascinating. uh, All the people you reached out uh, reached out to.
1: Absolutely, we definitely had a uh, similar demographic group to the United States, at least for our our um, in person group. So, we had a majority um, white. You know, as far as race goes, but that's to reflect the United States. Um, we had a really significant minority of um, African American, Hispanic, so and Hispanic definitely drew in from that South Florida region. So a lot of Cuban folk, a couple of Portu- or, um, um, uh, Colombian, excuse me, and then we had a few um, different groups as far as like economics is, are concerned. So we did talk to millionaires, and we also talked to the homeless, and it, it, the way we did it was you just went to common areas and. You'll be surprised how many places these kind of folks share. It's just, you know, all the random people that will walk by on the street just say, hey, you you mind filling out a survey survey real quick? You guys have done an excellent job going
2: through and collecting a sample uh, from folks from North Carolina to Texas and even further out than that. uh, A a great mix of everyone who's going to be impacted by these forecasts. When you got the results back, Robert, what was – what was some of the response like? Are there preferences that repeated themselves amongst the surveyists? Right. Oh, th- that's
3: a great question. That's, we definitely did see clear preferences. And that's one thing that both Chandler and I are excited about because you like to see good data in a survey. And one, I would say two main things we took away. There are many things people like about the current. They like the way it's designed. They think it gives them a good amount of information. But something that they think is just a little bit missing in at least the current one cone, aside from the other, uh, the other graphics that are, there are, you can see, includes the package, the one cone that they have there, it's a little bit missing on the hazards component. And people want to understand not just where it's going to affect them, but how. That sort of almost kitchen table angle, if you will. there, how exactly how hard it is going to affect them. And that's, I would say, probably one of the biggest findings from our survey.
4: I saw in looking through your your draft paper that you had uh, several different examples that you presented to, to people to uh, find out what they thought in, in your survey. Uh, just curious where you came up with the ideas for that. Was that just brainstorming uh, between the two of you or or did you uh, collaborate with other uh, students? Uh, did you uh, just go research what uh, folks other than the National Hurricane Center are doing or what their research has, has shown? Where did you come up with the ideas for those uh, those different uh suggested alternatives to the cone.
1: Um yeah, so definitely we got an inspiration from other research. So I'll plug uh Miami. Miami they came out with a study um looking at what's called the gradient cone or what we have called the gradient cone. Uh, and our research is called cone type C and it was something that they tested. They came to the conclusion that we did that it's not um good enough for um substitution of the NHC cone. Um, but we still wanted to include it because it was a very interesting graphic and they obviously put a, a lot of effort into it. And we were like, you know, this is a good idea to incorporate. Um, we also did uh, two other cones that kind of mirror the storm prediction centers graphics. So um, kind of took inspiration from them. Uh, and then the spaghetti cone or the spaghetti model um, graphic, that one came from, you know, everybody sees that. <laughs> and then of course we tested the NHC cone, which Oh, That's our control group.
0: I'm interested to hear about the spaghetti model plot because we see it all the time and we in the weather community, we know what that is we know how it comes about maybe general public doesn't how did they perceive that I'm interested to hear because. I could see on one side, you could see where there's consistency, but then you could also just see a lot of lines on here. You're like, what the heck am I looking at? So One thing we actually did find is a lot of
3: people knew what it was. So one area that a lot of people mentioned they saw it from is news outlets. And whenever you're watching a news broadcast about a hurricane coming in, they show you the cone, but the next thing they often show is the spaghetti monoplot. So people knew it, they called it the spaghetti plot. They were very familiar with it. One thing they did mention, however, was that it might be a little bit too confusing for them to understand actually when they need to prepare, understand where they need to go. It doesn't tell them even the same kind of information that the the normal cone does. So getting to your point, there is a lot of a bit of awareness, but the actual implementation, some people a little bit bit from the general public concerned about how that implementation could be done. And as well, it also didn't include some features from some of our more preferred cones, like Chandler was mentioning with the hazards element that people just in general preferred more than the spaghetti the wave was. Like you said, it's something that we really like as meteorologists, it gives us a lot of good data, but that data isn't exactly as easily applicable to a preparedness situation as it is to geeking out over where the center of the storm is exactly gonna track.
2: So glad you mentioned that. I mean, this is just another one of the million reasons why this research is so important. But as a budding uh, meteorologist, someone who's in school for this, I have not once looked at a spaghetti plot and thought, "Huh." I, don't, I wonder when this thing is going to make landfall. I wonder when it's going to affect this area. Um, and that's so true. When the general public looks at that, there's so much missing information that uh, a lot of meteorologists think we tend to fill that in in our heads because we've seen the other models. We have that already tucked in. Um, that is, that's so important for communicating to the, the public who don't have those little nuggets of information tucked in from when they checked the 18Z run of the GFS a couple hours okay. earlier. Chandler, I want to come back to you real quick. Something you mentioned a minute ago, the control group. I noticed as I was reading through uh, your draft that you mentioned you tested the cone
1: with and without the center line. What were the results of that like? I'll say that cone type A2, um, that is the one with the line, did do a f- more favorable job in the preference rating. So people did like the line. And, you know, that used to be the original cone. So people have even more familiarity to that one than the one that was updated just recently. Um, and we included that because it is a toggle feature on the NHC's website. So even though the NHC said mm, the track line is probably not best to be included, they still included it on in their website just so that people can toggle it, toggle it on and off. And we're like, well, we need to probably test the significance of that and see if people still are pretty attached to that. And we can see that they, they're pretty attached to it. There's one other graphic that they liked better, but, um, we can get to that in a second, but they did have an attachment to the cone with the line.
2: No need to put it off,
1: let's get right to it. That's
2: the most interesting, the conclusion of all of this draft, uh, right, all of this work. What did the people like? What was their favorite uh, cone?
3: A good summary of what we've been talking about here, the one that people prefer the most, it contains a lot of elements of the NHC cone. It contains those strength indicators, the timeline, and actually the cone shape like people like with the white background. But on the inland areas, it does have those hazard type areas. So it really gives the people that that nice unity between the graphic that they really like. They, they do prefer the NHC phone in a lot of areas, but it gives them that information that they also may not necessarily receive on just the current, the way it's displayed on news and on the NHC's website without the other graphics being included. It gives them a nice overview of everything going on, not just the track of the center without making it too complicated
2: part of that, uh, that i saw in one of the graphics was the categorical risk introducing the categorical risk i know that's there's a, a whole discussion about that with spc categorical risks uh, excessive rainfall categorical risks that um, there's some trickiness with the exact wording of those um, but when you all boiled it down did you did you come to four or five levels that we would like to
1: evaluate on land impact uh, that that helps to further interpret the cone of uncertainty. Definitely, we had inspiration from like some of the other th- um, outputs that we have seen. So WFO in the Gulf, um, they put out some different uh, model or um, different uh, indicators, excuse me, that kind of show uh, the rainfall, excess rainfall, and um, wind and all that. So. Uh, definitely our inspiration is combining that kind of stuff together to kind of form the inland impacts. Um, We did not try to get into the weeds of the other arguments about um, the naming of the uh, categories. We have our own preferences, but we acknowledge that, first of all, you know, you want to have interagency agreement. So whatever the NAC chooses to do, if they do end up deciding to bring in some sort of categorical risk, I'm sure they were wanting to do exactly what the WPC and the SPC do. Um, so we're not really suggesting anything crazy in that regard. We're not trying to take on multiple things at once, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, we're not too terribly attached to that. And as far as four or five risks, uh, levels are concerned, I think you could do either. Um, it just depends on how they want to Parameterize everything, which again, we're not too terribly attached to that either. It's more so just showing people like some sort of categorical um, overlay.
0: So, Robert, talking about inland threats with this this map that you guys have have come up with, um, how do you think that's gonna that how how do you think that's gonna help people who are more inland, off the coast? Uh, do you think that's really gonna help them kind of determine what what could be coming their way?
3: Right, that's actually a very good question, and. I think that that's something that we're really trying to get at here is because a storm is more than just the track of the center. The track of the center does a great job in conveying a lot of aspects of the storm, but ultimately there are some situations in which it doesn't quite fully convey the severity of hazards. And one good case is when it goes inland, particularly when it becomes a heavy rainfall, event. not necessarily of a big tropical concern for areas inland like storm surge, but rainfall can become a big consideration. That could be seen with storms like the famous tropical storm Allison, it was just a tropical storm, but ultimately dumped very many inches of rain. I'm saying that because I don't remember the exact off at the top think, of my head. I think you but said
1: to me like 41 or two it, it, inches. It was somewhere
3: at least above 30. I remember that. And that's just a very good example of how a storm may not easily be perceived by the public as being a major threat, but it can. It can really be. And just to get back to your question, I don't want to get too far from that. Inland flooding and inland impacts in general are a major consideration for this survey. And that's one reason why we are so enthusiastic about a hazards-based approach to this and issues track because it helps us to convey to people more than they already know in a not so complicated way, which is something that we always want.
4: I like the categorical uh, approach here too, because not only does it uh, allow you to extend things, things well inland. I mean you, as far as you want if you know if you have a, a hurricane making landfall in Louisiana, you could have uh, risk areas going all the way into Kentucky and Ohio if you wanted to even further than that. But uh, I think another strength is that it sort of brings everything together uh, into one place. Right now the way the approach is being handled is that the, the National Hurricane Center hand, handles, the traditional hurricane hazards, so to speak, the, the rain, the surge, the wind, but they don't handle the, you know, the tornado aspect. Uh, SPC does that. So you have to go to kind of go to another place to get that. And then inland flooding is WPC is handling that so that you another place you have to go uh, to find that. So uh, what you're doing, I think, is, is sort of an effort to sort of bring it all together into one place where uh, you can look at one graphic and know that you have a risk and, and know that you have to look elsewhere to find, uh, what your risk is
1: going to be.
0: Now you guys have this, what's, what's the next steps?
1: Well, we're definitely going on tour. I'm just kidding, <laughs> but we're definitely, I'm um, going around and like talking to people and kind of raising awareness about the subject because we do want people to kind of treat this research as they would with most, um, doctoral research. Cause of course, you know, we are undergraduates, so we understand that people will have some skepticism. You know, it's like, okay, these, these guys may not have all the education, but, we want to express, um, on these kind of, uh, on these kind of platforms that, you know, Hey, we're, we're, we're here. We have experience. We did this the right way, um, with, uh, the advisement of our um, supervising professor. who is was a great, ju- great dude. Um, his name is Dr. Alquist. I'll plug him in too. Um, but yeah, so we're raising awareness and we're working with the NHC, um, just to try to, once we get everything finalized, submit it to them so they can just read it over and, uh, go from there.
3: Right. And I do want to emphasize also here that the NHC has been a great partner with us as well. They've been very helpful and very willing to talk with us. And they've been really great mentors as well. I know the channel already plugged the great Dr. Alquist, Dr. John Alquist. He's been a great research mentor to us. But the NHC has also been very incredible at just being willing to help and just being there for whenever we need them and meeting with us to discuss our future path here. So I just give a lot of credit to them because they have been so professional and so willing to help. I just can't say enough good things about them, to be honest.
1: Yeah, obviously. Uh, I think his name's Robbie Berg. He really helped us kind of get connected. Um, and we had a couple people in um, our Tallahassee WFO. So um, Mark Wool and Jessica Few, they're great. And then Jessica Schauer was our other person. I just feel like shouting out their names because they really are awesome people and awesome, just awesome people in general um, in the meteorology community.
4: So just curious, what do the National Weather Service people, what do they think about the work you're doing?
1: They've been very
3: receptive to our work. They've uh, uh, they've definitely been willing to consider a lot of things that we've said. Obviously, we're still in the preliminary stages of talking with them with actually looking towards a direction moving forward. So we haven't really been, finalizing in the direction moving forward with that but we are in talks right with them right now if we consider what paths could be forward for the cone if we're looking at any sort of modifications and how our data can help them most so we are still meeting with them we're going to be doing some more meetings with them soon but they are very willing to talk with us and discuss our findings and i just consider that a very good attribute of the NOAA agency in general
1: yeah i'll add that we did present some of our research already to them like our preliminary results and they just said that it was a fantastic job um and so we definitely are encouraged by that and we just want to continue to share it and try to you know get attention towards that subject of trying to improve communication uh, in a way that's very scientific and well thought out
0: kudos to y'all i mean it's great job i mean I, I'm impressed. We appreciate Thank it you so much. Uh,
4: yeah. It's some really great and in-depth work here. I mean, when, when you sent me your, your draft paper and, and I went looking through it, I, I thought, okay, this is, I'll, 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 skim through this in 10 minutes and it'll be eight, nine pages long. And you know, it's like 35 pages or something. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of stuff. That I'm like, Whoa, yeah. this is really involved.
3: <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Our apologies on that part. When I was compiling it, I, we we actually had a doc where it was 40 pages and I, I was making the decision to do double columns, but then it was still 26 and I'm like,
0: ah, you know,
3: yeah. let's just so set it off. It's totally run.
4: all right. You know, research papers need to be the length they need to be rather than, you know, what you, what you think they should be.
0: You guys, uh, we appreciate it. Anything that, you know, that we've have failed to talk about or mention uh, that you guys want to kind of throw out there before we wrap up uh, everything?
1: I think I have one thing. Um. And it's, it's just another topic that I don't think we got around to, um, but we kind of hinted at it. Um, so on the like original National Hurricane Center's graphic, they um, do a job um, a job of like indicating risk in a more implied way using like the watches and warnings aspect. And there has been previous research that's come out about like watches and warnings, and we don't have to get all the way into detail. But you know, there's some communication there in that regard as well. Um, people confusing the words watch and warning. Um, Robert has a good story about that that he can share here in a second. But um, so just confusing those terms, we solved that in our data as well, kind of reinforces other research, which gave me comfort that we were doing something right. <laughs> but so just, just seeing that, oh, maybe that aspect also could be um, modified or replaced in this case with a risk category system.
3: The watches and warnings are excellent products issued by the NHC and the WFOs. Um, the watches and watched the warnings with hurricanes, tropical storms, and storms are obviously for other events as well, but we're focusing on the tropical aspect here. And they do a really good job of forecasting, as we've seen with this system. The one area which I've just, Chandler has just said there, but sort of the thing that we found in our survey is that the graphical depiction of watches and warnings is kind of the biggest, to say, speed bump, if you will, with the actual perception of it. The EIS implementation, all of the other implementations of watches and warnings are very well done and definitely kudos to all the agencies involved for getting those out in a timely manner and getting people informed. But the graphical depiction has a few deficiencies just on the nature that. It's some people perceive that to be hazards based indication when ultimately it's just set set there as the watches and warnings they've issued. It's not supposed to be this sort of SPC type thing that we put in our cones. But some people kind of imply it to be that. And the fact that it doesn't have an inland extent does ultimately just because it's on the coast, as I'm sure you all know, it does confuse some people as to the hazards. And that's why we've suggested having a hazard based implementation just to alleviate any confusion.
0: That there is. I think it's fantastic research you all are doing and we look forward to hearing more about it. Um, guys, if you wouldn't mind or if you don't mind. Um, I'm sure if if new comings come out, you will be uh, putting them out on the on social media. So, if that is the case, how can uh, our followers and listeners follow you all?
1: My Twitter handle is Chan Chan Weatherman. Um, so it's pretty catchy. Uh, you can just look up my name, Chandler Pruitt, if you also want to just do that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably the main way. I'm usually always on Twitter.
3: I also use Twitter as well. The, the hallmark of a meteorologist or a student meteorologist, if you will. You can just look me up on Twitter, Robert Zot, S-Z-O-T, and that's the best way to find me. For sure. I, I do a lot of stuff related to the research and other professional-related stuff, so that's definitely the best way to find
0: me. Well, we appreciate your time and fantastic research, and um, if I have a vote, I'm voting for, for, for the news things that you guys are doing. So, um, great stuff, and thank you all for watching the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, we hope you have a great rest of your evening, and we'll see you back here next time for an all-new episode of the Carolina Weather Group.